We pick back up in Galatians chapter 2 is where we're at for this morning. Galatians chapter 2. Famous author named Timothy Keller wrote, The gospel is not about choosing to follow advice. It is about being called to follow a king. Not just someone with the power and authority to tell you what needs to be done, but someone with the power and authority to do what needs to be done and then to offer it to you as good news. The gospel is just not about being moral. The gospel is just not about being better. The gospel is not about just doing religious things. The gospel is not about going to church. The gospel is not about improving in your weaknesses. The gospel is about us loving King Jesus. The gospel is about us loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, the gospel is about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and the things that we do to thank him for what he's done for us on the cross are the works. But our relationship is because of what he's done for us, and the results is our being thankful for what he's done for us. We become more loving because we serve King Jesus. We become forgiving because we serve King Jesus. We become faithful to what the Bible has to say about what it means to live the Christian life because we are thankful to King Jesus and we are following King Jesus. So the gospel is not about choosing to follow advice. It's about being called to follow a king. Chapter 2, in verse 1, if you recall from our chapter 1 study, Paul saved on the road to Damascus, blinded. Jesus says to him, blinded by Jesus, Jesus says to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul goes into Damascus blind. He goes and he's in a stable and a guy that doesn't want to go see him, a Christian man that doesn't want to go see him because he's heard of how horrible of a person Paul is, heard about his treachery, heard about his murderous intent to do away with everyone that calls himself a believer in Christ. And there Ananias shows up and, and ministers to him, and, and, and Paul, the scales are gone, and somewhere in that next few amount of time, Paul goes into the Arabian desert and he spends three years there. He didn't go to Jerusalem and meet with Peter. He didn't go to Jerusalem and meet with Peter and James and John and the rest of the boys. He went out to Arabia. There's no mention about where he went. There's no idea about how all that happened. But here's, in a nutshell, what took place. And it's a miracle of all miracles. Paul went out there in the desert, and the Holy Spirit taught Paul in the desert. And Paul comes back from the desert with the same understanding of the gospel that the Jews who become believers in Jerusalem had. It's quite an amazing miracle. So you can have two people. Two people come to know Christ, different ways perhaps, one on the road to Damascus, one on the road to Odessa. They come to know Christ. 
to have an encounter with Jesus. The guy that was on his way to Odessa, he goes to a little cave somewhere outside of Riodosa. He doesn't deal, he just shoots squirrels and he shoots a deer every now and then and he lives by himself. And, and the guy that was going to Damascus, you know, he goes and he hides out in Arabia like Paul did. Those two people come together after three years, not having talked to anyone. No one has taught them. No one has explained anything to them. And they come together and, and they have basic agreement on the major things about Jesus. That's an amazing miracle. There's a, there's a preacher in Cambodia, and it amazes me about this one guy, and there's many preachers out there, just amaze me. How in the world did God do all that without us? <laughs> you know, how did he do it without my education? How did he do it without my teaching? You know, how in the world has happened? But there's a man there that had a son that was ill, couldn't get better. He takes him to the, to the Buddhist temple, pays his money, and the Buddhists pray for his son. His son doesn't get any better. And, and, and then, later on, he remembered a conversation he had with a man. The conversation went like this. They were standing on a street corner in Phnom Penh, and there was a foreigner, a white man, and, and he could speak some chimer. And they started talking. And the man says, why are you here? And how did you learn to speak chimer? And Basically, in a nutshell, what this foreigner that could speak Khmer said to this Cambodian guy is, well, you have to understand, Jesus is my God. Okay. I'm sure he said, Akun, and off he went. And some years later, after his son doesn't get well from them going and paying their money to the Buddhist temple for their son to be healed, he says to his wife, you remember I told you about meeting that foreigner? on the corner in Phnom Penh? And she goes, yes. He said Jesus was his God. I don't know who this God is. I don't understand what's happening here, but, but let's ask this man's God to heal our son. He said he prayed to Jesus, and the next morning his son was healed. Now, he didn't pray like, as sophisticated as I do. I'm sure he didn't have all the words right. I'm sure that it lacked in sophistication. But he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus healed his son. The next step was the man said, the Cambodian man said, he said, sweetie pie, honey, we got to get us one of those Jesus books. I hear Jesus has a book. And they got one of Jesus' books. And he started reading one of Jesus' books. And he started telling other people about Jesus' book. He hadn't been to evangelism class. He hasn't been to Bible school. He hasn't been to vacation Bible school. He hasn't been to anything like that. And here he is doing all he knows to do, and he, and he just reads the Bible. And he talks with people about what he's just read about this Jesus. And he said later on, he told me, he said, through the interpreter, of course, he said that all I need to do is says, you remember my son that was healed by Jesus? They would say, yes, you tell us all the time. Well, let me read about this healing. 
let me tell you about this. And, and today, he's got one of the largest churches. Isn't that amazing? I mean, to tell me that two people can read the Bible or not, they can just be open to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will teach them what the Holy Spirit wants to teach them and what they need to know, the answer is absolutely yes. And we have that same experience with Paul. I've talked with that guy a lot. I've taught him a lot through the years, 11, 12 years we've been going over and doing our conference with him, and he listens every time. He's got his notebook out and stuff like that. We, we agree on all the important things, and we agreed from day one on all the important things, and that's what the Holy Spirit has done. And so you've got that at work here in this story of Paul and his relationship with Peter and James and Andrew and the boys from Jerusalem. So let's look at some of these lessons from the life of Paul that we can learn something from, verses 1 and 2. Then after 14 years, so he, he, he's been out there preaching, okay? After 14 years, so we know for sure Paul's been a believer now over 17 years. That's a long time not to sit down with the other boys. And Paul has a need to compare notes, all right? Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. I love that about Paul. We're going to discover here in just a little bit in verse 6, Paul wasn't, he didn't cow down to important people. He didn't cow down to people who seemed influential. He didn't take what he had learned from the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem and put those things aside because he was around important people, because he was around celebrity. And so he met with them privately before those who seemed influential. That's interesting to me. He says, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order. Why did he go? He says, because of revelation. He wasn't planning to go. He wasn't hopped up to go, but he had a revelation for the Lord. And the Lord says, you, you need to go to Jerusalem and talk with those guys in Jerusalem. Okay, because the Lord said to go, I'll go. I met privately with those who seemed influential. And he says, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And so he sat down with these who seemed to be influential in a private meeting and said, this is what I'm teaching the Gentiles. I'm teaching them salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm teaching that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm teaching them that they can be born again, that all their sins can be forgiven. And when he told him that, he told him what he'd been preaching so that what he had been preaching was not a waste of time. That's, he's, he's comparing notes. We haven't gotten together. We didn't go to school together. We, have not, we don't have FaceTime. We haven't been on the phone with each other. He didn't know, he didn't know what Peter had been preaching, and Peter didn't know what he'd been preaching. 
But the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go to Jerusalem and compare notes with those who seem to be influential. And he did. Now, something's in order here in the life of Paul. Something really important. His ego was in check and his ambition was in check. That's really important. Paul's a man just like us, human just like us. Paul was becoming a pretty big deal, a pretty big deal. He had influence. People were looking at him. He had a huge responsibility. He had an amazing purpose. And listen, the Holy Spirit was showing him things that was blowing his mind, and he had information that he could have very easily started a cult with. He could have had a lot of people lining up to surround themselves with his teachings. But yet, his ego and his ambition was in check. With all that spiritual information, with all that knowledge, with all that... Now, Paul said that he really didn't have a great ability to speak and to persuade, but obviously there was something there. He had something going on. It was the content. It was the blessing of the Lord. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. Regardless, he, he could get people to consider Jesus. And yet, that wasn't what he was about. He wasn't about promoting Paul. He was about promoting Jesus. It wasn't about his own kingdom that he wanted to push it was the kingdom of Jesus that he was all about because the gospel to him wasn't about building his own kingdom. The gospel for him was about building the kingdom of God. And you see that in verse 1 and 2. Man, he goes to compare notes. He wants to team up. He wants to share with them. And so his ego and ambition is in check. Good question for us to ask ourselves, is my ego and ambition in check? Who am I living for? What kingdom am I trying to build up? And then in verses 3 through 5, we see something else. Verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Titus says, thank goodness. I've met two people that I know that were circumcised as adults. It ain't fun. Their testimony is, it ain't fun. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers, secretly brought in. Can you imagine that? Here we have the early church. Here we have just, you know, a few years in, and you've already got shenanigans going on. You've already got Satan trying to subvert what's going on. They brought in spies to try to pervert Paul. Why in the world would you do that? Well, the only reason is the evil. The evil influence that's taking place there. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They were upset with their freedom just like the people who were healed on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees just couldn't stand it. 
Why in the, how in the world can you heal someone, work on the Sabbath? He was healed for God's sakes. Shouldn't we be celebrating the healing? No, no, we're mad about the rules being broken. Because after all, it's all about the rules. It's all about our rules. Don't bring this gospel message into our house and cause us to break our rules. There ain't no way in the world we're going to allow these people to get all worked up and we lose control. That's what's taking place there with that. Because these false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery, the slavery of following all the laws and not being free in Christ. You see, the lawmakers, the law lovers, and the, and, the, and the ones that want everyone to follow the law, here's what they didn't understand. If you really want people to follow the law, have faith in Christ. Now, I didn't murder anybody this week, not because I'm afraid of the law, but because now the law is imprinted in my heart, and I just didn't think about killing anybody. I coveted, though. I coveted once. I didn't covet my neighbor's wife. I coveted, coveted something else I saw driving down the water. But when you have the Holy Spirit in you, when you believe in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's better than reading the Ten Commandments. The Holy Spirit is our conscience. The Holy Spirit is our warner. He warns us. He says, don't look. Turn back around. You don't need it. You don't want it. You may want it, but you don't need it. It'll ruin you. You ever hear the Holy Spirit tell you? Don't accept that deal. It'll ruin you. You ever had that happen? Don't say what you think right now. It's not going to get you what you want. You ever have that happen to you? That's the Holy Spirit. That's better than reading it. It's having the Holy Spirit in here. And these law lovers... They didn't understand that yet. They didn't understand that freedom, having freedom, being forgiven, having the Holy Spirit in you, having that joy, having that love, being absolutely free in Christ, to be right with God, and it's as if you've never been wrong with God, to be that justified before the Lord is a lot better than forcing yourself to follow the Ten Commandments. Because if we dwell on the Ten Commandments, not breaking in the Ten Commandments, before noon we've broken the Ten Commandments. You can put that chocolate cake on the table and you can say, I ain't going to have a piece. I ain't going to have a piece. You walk by it in the morning, I ain't going to have a piece. Sure would be good for breakfast, I ain't going to have a piece. You go to work, you come home, you pull up in the driveway, and you're thinking to yourself, just walk by that chocolate cake. But that's your favorite chocolate cake. One sniff won't hurt you. Yeah, it will. Don't sniff that chocolate cake. Because when you sniff that chocolate cake, the next thing you do is you taste that chocolate cake. And you don't get a good enough taste on that chocolate cake. Just walk on by that chocolate cake. Let me tell you something. About 10 o'clock at night, you're eating some chocolate cake. 
And that's what we got here. We got these guys wanting them to have some chocolate cake. But it says in verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. That's powerful right there. Even for a split second, even for a New York minute, we didn't yield in submission to those spies even for a moment. And he gives the reason. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Gosh, that gives me goosebumps. Paul was a man of conviction. Paul was a man of conviction about what really mattered. And Paul knew that the gospel would be perverted if you added all this extra stuff to it. And if you focus more on what people should do, what people ought not to do, than what Jesus has done for us on the cross, you'll pervert that gospel. They'll pervert that gospel. You know why there's so many empty cathedrals in England, in Europe? It's because along the way, they focus more on what people should do or shouldn't do than what Jesus did for them, and they stopped preaching the gospel. Have you seen the articles that have been written about America lately? Christianity is dying in America. Well, that may be true by the numbers. That may be true. It may be the last times where Jesus said there will be a great movement to take the gospel into all the world, and there'll be a great falling away. Maybe that's the day we live in. But let me tell you something. Where the gospel is preached, the church will survive. Because it's not about what we do. It's not about how we do it. It's not about what we should do or haven't done. We don't focus on what people do or don't do. We focus on what Jesus has done for us, and we leave the rest up to him. You may live here, you may leave today and live like a scoundrel the rest of the week. That's between you and the Lord. You're missing out, though, if you do. You may hear the, what I'm talking about today, and you may be exposed to the gospel, and you may be rejected, but, it, but, but that's your responsibility, right? But, you're, but when you're not hearing the gospel, then you are burdened down with morality. And that's what happened. There's nothing worse than saying you always got to do better. I ain't done better a day. If all you say is, I got to do better, I'm a lost scoundrel. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm a scumbag by nature. I can't do better on my own. I can't love on my own. I can't forgive on my own. Without Christ dying for me on the cross and, and my awareness of what he did for me and the forgiveness and the grace and love that he's given me, I, I can't love anybody. I don't want to love anybody. I hate everybody hate some more than others. But Jesus is my king. He died on the cross, and, 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 and the hate just has gone away for the most part because of what he's done for us. Not so I could go to heaven, not so he'd be pleased with me, but because of what he did for me on the cross. And Paul wanted to preserve that gospel. Paul understood we can't give in to the spies. 
We can't give in to those who want to pervert the gospel because we need to preserve the gospel for those to come. That's Paul, a man of great conviction over what really matters. Wow. Thank you, Paul, that you're tough. You didn't give in. Are you liable to give in this week to something that perverts the gospel? Are you going to give in to the, to the Satan this week, to his temptations to not share the gospel? Are you going to give in to temptation and be submissive to the lawmakers? Are you going to let the self-righteousness of someone cause you not to love our Jesus? Are you going to allow the fault of some Christian who sideways with the Lord cause you to be bitter and resentful? Paul said, by no means. We did not yield in, at any time, at any moment. We stay strong. Now look at verse 6, another amazing virtue that we can learn from Paul here in verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, <laughs> he's at it again. I'd like to sit around and have coffee with Paul. Look at that boy over there, Paul. He seems to be influential, doesn't he, Lee? He most certainly does, Paul. Do you think he's influential? Well, let's go see how influential he is. He says in verse 6 here, and for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. I don't care how dressed up they were. They didn't fool me none. I didn't care how sophisticated their words were. They didn't move me any. I, I, I didn't melt by their presence. I didn't melt by their fanciness. I didn't melt by their seemingly influential position. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now, what he's saying is, it wasn't the people, it was the truth. It wasn't the personality. It was the content that mattered to me. It wasn't that they looked apart, sounded apart, appeared to be the leaders of the church. It wasn't about any of that. It was that they believed and their heart was right with God and they understood the, 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 the importance of the gospel. That's what mattered to Paul. You know what we can learn from Paul at this is don't be fooled, don't be duped, don't get on the crazed bandwagon of the celebrity, of the celebrity. Our culture is dazed and confused with celebrity. Days and confused. If you went to high school in the 70s, you understand dazed and confused. 
<laughs> if I were able to get Matthew McConaughey to come preach here next week, and I advertised it, this place would be packed. There'd be no parking places. There would be people sitting on them rails. They would be sitting down here on the floor. If we were to have Matthew McConaughey come preach for us next week, you know why? He's so cute. First 10 rows would be ladies only. He'd walk up here and say, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to leave here today and get in my limousine. This is what I do. All right, all right, all right. You know why? Because we're crazed with celebrity. We can advertise Jesus is going to be taught here next Sunday, and we'll have plenty of place to sit. Makes you wonder if we're focused on the groom or the groomsman. You've got to be real careful with that with Christianity too, is because, man, we live in a day and an age where people crave a celebrity preacher. The, the podcasters, casters, casters, podcasting, Facebooking, TV, people flock to the celebrity preacher. And it's, it's, it puts us in a position where we are ripe to be misled by celebrity. By celebrity. It's a real thing. It's a real thing in our community. It's a real thing in our world. This lady told me one day, not it's some three, four years ago, I suppose, by now, and it went from a very pleasant conversation to kind of an unpleasant conversation. And most of it was my fault, but I'd had enough. And sometimes I have enough at the wrong times, the wrong place, with the wrong people, but nevertheless, human being struggling. And so the conversation turned like this. I made the statement. I said, so how are y'all getting along in our church family? You know, are you adjusting okay? They hadn't been here very long. And she says, well, to be honest with you, we're only here for the community. We're only here for the fellowship. I said, well, that's great. We have some real good people here. You know, we got some nice people. We got some morons just like everybody else. We got some weirdos and... I mean, we do, and I always say stuff like that. I said, we've got some ordinary, everyday people, and we, we like that. We like to be real with each other, and that's going on. And, and she said, yes, we enjoy the fellowship. We enjoy our small group. Our kids enjoy the children's program. We enjoy all those things. But, you know, our heart, our pastor is really Matt Chandler. And I went, what? She says, well, you know, we come here for the connection, but but we, we really just listen on the podcast for Matt Chandler because I said, really, how come? And she said, well, he's really good. He's really good. He's really popular. You know, did you know he travels the world preaching? People invite him to go preach all across the world. Yeah, he's He's pretty popular. I get, yeah, he's really good. He's 
pretty, yeah, I get it, yeah. And I'm, you know, I said, and, and, and I said, well, why don't y'all move over there and get close so you can have the fellowship and you can have the great preacher. Oh, we, we, we like our house here. The kids, we like the school the kids are in. And, and I said, so you mean to tell me you like everything except for the preacher? I got that gift. <laughs> I've got that gift. But to me, it paints a picture of the celebrity that is in all walks of life, in all aspects of life, in all areas of life. Let me tell you something. Do not be fooled by a celebrity preacher. It is okay if you go to church with a celebrity preacher, but you go for the content, not the personality. You go for their heart, not their good looks. You go for what they say and what they lead and what they show, not how pretty they are. Paul wasn't duped by that. He said, they seemed influential, but who they are meant nothing to me. That's a real important virtue. Don't be misled by people. Don't give people too much leverage over you. Only if they're true to the word, only if they're true to the content, only if what they're having to say and what they're doing lives up to this scripture. That's what Paul was about. He was about the heart and the mind, the content, not about who they seemed to be. Because you know as I do, you know as well as I do, that in the church, Leaders can sure strut around like a peacock. They're more valuable. They're more important. They got more to say than anybody else. And be careful of that. That's what verse 6 says there. Paul was a not, he was just not amazed by celebrity church leaders. Didn't mean anything to him. Verses 7 through 9. This is a good virtue of Paul. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's us, the Gentile. You know, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's Jews and everybody else is a Gentile. We're the uncircumcised. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles as they go to the circumcised. God did that. God did that. Paul, checking records with him. Paul, without ambition, without his ego, laid at the door, if it was there, just humble before them, not paying attention to who they were. They agreed on the message, and they agreed on the assignment and they gave each other the right hand of fellowship. That's a beautiful picture 
of the body of Christ. Same message, different methods. Same message, different places. Same message, different ministries. That's what we got going on here in these verses. Paul was a team player. Peter was a team player. James was a team player. John was a team player. It wasn't, we want everybody to hear us. We want everybody to hear about Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's not about the people. It's about Jesus who changes hearts and lives. It's about Jesus who saves people. Paul, you go to the rest of the world. You go to the Gentiles. We'll deal with the Jews. And the reason why Paul says here to the Galatians that he was not moved by their seemingly, you know, influential status is because he wanted to know it wasn't about these men who had been with Jesus, seen Jesus. I'd been with Jesus and I saw Jesus, Paul could say. It's not about their, you know, their clout of being with him for three years. It matters. What matters is the message. And so that's what we can learn from what Paul is telling them. It's not the messenger that matters. It's the message that matters. It's the message that matters. And that was what Paul was trying to communicate to the people of Galatia. Verse 10, the last thing that we'll talk about here today. Only they ask us to remember the poor. There wasn't anything about the gospel we need to change. It wasn't about anything about the gospel that we need to alter. We had the gospel message. The Holy Spirit done put us together with the gospel message. They just said, please remember the poor. Now, for in, these guys were saturated with the poor, Peter, James, and John. Man, when, when Jesus ascended, and when all the stuff went down in Jerusalem, they had two enemies. Christians had two enemies in Jerusalem, and they were both in power. It was the Jews and the Romans. They were pushed out of work. They were pushed outside the economy. They were starving. They were hungry. That's why Paul took those offerings up in Macedonia and other places and had it carried back to Jerusalem was to minister to these Christian people who found themselves so poor because of Christ. And, and, and Peter, James, and John said, please, remember the poor. And what did Paul, how did he respond to that? The very thing I'm eager to do. The very thing I'm eager to do. One of the great virtues about Paul was he was mission-minded. One of the great virtues about Paul was he wasn't concerned with him, his ministry, benefiting he was interested in the kingdom of God benefiting and take care of the needs around the world. A lot of people say, oh, let's just take care of us. That's not the gospel. Let's just do what we can afford. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not what the gospel does. The gospel does all you can do and more. The gospel sacrifices. The gospel reaches out. Why? Because how can we equal what Jesus did for us on the cross? We can't. And so we are going to do all we can beyond ourselves for the needs. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. There's a man by the name of Fritz Krisler. I never met him. 
He lived from 1875 to 1962. And the sources say that he was a world-famous violinist. And he traveled around his world doing concerts and playing for dignitaries and things like that. And on one of his many travels, he was in a store, an auction house, and he found a violin that was one of the best violins ever made. It was an ancient violin, even for him. And he held it, and he looked at it, and he asked the, 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 the storekeeper how much the violin was, and it was an extravagant price. He said, I can't afford that. And he literally wanted, he craved that violin. And, and so he went back to his hometown, he saved, and he saved, and he saved. And, and finally, after a time period went by, he had gotten enough money to go pay that price for that violin because he wanted so desperately to play that violin in his concerts. And so he gets enough money together and he goes back and he walks in and he says, hey, where'd that violin go that was here? And he said, well, we sold that violin. Oh, he said, who'd you sell it to? And he says, well, actually, we sold it to a man here in town. And he said, where does he live? What is his name? Where does he live? And the shopkeeper gave him the name and, and the address. And so he went to the guy's home. He knocked the door and he says, you know, you don't know me, but I'm a violin. I'm a violinist. And I understand that you purchased that such and such violin down at the shop down middle of town. He said, yes, matter of fact, I did. It's what my prized possession. And he said, can I see it? I've come all this way. I came back to buy it, but but can, can, will you sell it? And he said, oh, no, no, my prize was there. I can't sell it. He said, no, can I, can I just see it? And so he said, sure, come on in. And so he goes in the man's house, and he grabs the violin out of his case and hands it to him. And he holds it, and he marvels at it. And he said, I have one request. He said, before it's consigned to silence, can I play it once? And the man said, I'd love for it to be played. I just admire its beauty and its history, but I trust you. I'd love for you to play it. And he began to play that violin. And he played song after song. And the man who owned the violin sat down and began to weep. He began to cry. And finally he gets through playing, and the man is speechless. And the owner of the violin, through his crying and his weeping, said, I have no right to keep that to myself. It's yours. Take it. Take it into the world and let people hear it. The gospel is more valuable than that violin. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the gospel, to have the heart of Paul, to want to protect it, to, to promote it, to teach it, to share it, to not give in to temptation, to not give in to the law people, but to enjoy our freedom and present what you have done for us through your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Ushers, please come forward.